0: Oh, man, sure hope you all had a good week. Uh, I know that every time we gather together, um, uh, people come from a variety of circumstances of their week, uh, so uh, in the lobby, it's often this uh, barrage of great thing happened this week and not so great happened this week, and that, that happened to me this morning after the first service. Um, <clears throat> cool story. One of the guys, kids getting baptized here in, in a few minutes. And um, so that's awesome, uh, but then he was diagnosed with uh, kind of some hip thing and sarcoma possibility, and so he had this, that kind of emotional strain. Another lady that um, I didn't get to talk to, but she sent a message, uh, she's, having to move. she's having to move, her husband passed away, and she's moving to up north somewhere. And then other folks talk about, hey, I didn't have to have a surgery, uh, that happened to me this morning. So my point is, all of us come with these different circumstances of the week. Everybody with me so far? Because, I mean, this is just the intro. If I haven't communicated this well, I'm really in trouble for the rest of it, just to let you know. Um, and so, um, and so th- that's kind of where we all come from. We have these good things and bad things. And not only that, but as we anticipate what's coming, we have good things we're looking forward to and, and difficult things. So what I want to do is I want to pray going into this moment with you. Because I believe that God will actually help us, prepare us, feed us, sustain us, whatever it is we need in this time for what we've come through what we're headed into and i don't know if you share that belief with me or not but i'm going to pray like we all do so let's pray and then we'll we'll get started lord um so my prayer is um very clear um these are your people you made us each one of us and you know all the circumstances of the week prior and the week we're heading into and we come lord not just because we didn't have anything else to do today um we come today to celebrate baptism, but we come because we need you. And some of us don't even know it, but we, we need you in a powerful way. And so whatever my friends have brought with them today, I pray right now that you would assure them that you are aware. And that even though they may be able to see it, they may not, you are working on their behalf and, and bringing glory to your name through that very event. So we celebrate our wins and our victories, and we express complete and utter dependence upon you as we face the challenges. So because of all those needs that you're hearing right now across this room, people watching online, any of the campuses, um, we, we need you and not, not a person. So Lord, hide me deep in your cross and use these words, let them be your words to your people. In your name, amen. So uh, last, this is the last Sunday of Stranger Things, and then we're going to do some more kind of uh, Beatitudes and start on the Mount stuff um, throughout the year. Um, but uh, if you have been following, or maybe you're just visiting, this is kind of the two takeaways I think you should probably own uh, at this point. And this is kind of where I would summarize everything. The first thing you need to know from the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 is you need to know who Jesus was speaking to. You need to understand who the crowd was. Jesus spoke to what we have now learned, or are, are people called the Anaheim. And the Anaheim had been deemed as these throwaway people by culture and society. Because they were needy people, they were poor people, they weren't influencers necessarily. They were afflicted, some of them were demon possessed. They were wrecked people, mess up people, shame filled kind of people. And the Old Testament is filled with the use of this term, anawim. Uh, some of y'all remember uh, the Syrian Empire invades Middle East and particularly Israel, and that's where we meet Daniel of Daniel in the Lion's Den. And so they meet Daniel and uh, the Syrian Empire. They take Daniel and some of his friends because Scripture says they took the best and the brightest to go be slaves. They didn't take everybody. They just took the best and the brightest. So the people that were left were sort of like the worst and the dimmest. (laughs) Those were the Anoim. They were referred to as the Anoim. And then if you remember uh, Zephaniah chapter 2, just to give you a couple of examples, says this, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. That word, humble of the land, that's the Hebrew word Anoim. You who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And then this one is in 1 Corinthians. Keep in mind that the majority of scripture is written from a Jewish perspective, and even into the New Testament. And so we have a Jewish guy steeped in the Jewish Hebrew understanding, writing now to people that aren't Jewish. And this is what he says, up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth. This is the Greek equivalent of the word anewim. The refuse of the world. Now my point for all this is, is, is here. When Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he addresses the entire crowd, this entire people on the side of the hill, as anawim. And probably if he were here today, he would address us as anawim. these people who didn't know they had any value in God's kingdom. They thought you basically tried to do your life, do it the best you could, and you, and you got out of it. They did not know that they had any purpose in any kingdom. And so this new rabbi comes to the scene before there are any churches built for them or any music or anything like that. This new rabbi sits on the side of the hill and he basically says to all of them, there are no throwaway Anaheim people in the kingdom of heaven. Everybody matters in the kingdom of heaven. And that's a pretty big deal. Because Today, we actually have this same opportunity as the people on the side of the hill. And I know in our world, everybody matters, everybody wins a trophy. Those are not the same message that Jesus was trying to portray. Jesus was saying, there are no throwaway people. It wasn't a self-esteem thing. It was a value to the kingdom thing. And everybody was invited to be part of God's kingdom. So the first thing we need to remember is who he's speaking to. Here's the second thing we need to remember uh, in this entire series, and you think, Tom, why did it come the last four weeks? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Well, here it is. (laughs) The second thing is this. Remember what Jesus meant when he said, kingdom of heaven. Because we don't use that terminology all the, all the time. Honey, pass the Doritos and a Pepsi. And how about that kingdom of heaven? You know, we don't use that very often in our terminology as we talk to people. And Jesus wasn't speaking of something in the future. I think sometimes we think, we think that Jesus is all about something good that will happen someday. Something good will happen like after we die. Well, then we get to be to heaven and we play harps and float on clouds. That's not what Jesus meant by kingdom of heaven. Christianity and a relationship with Him wasn't about checking a box to kind of get fire insurance for after we die. That wasn't the kingdom of heaven. In fact, a little later, Jesus said this He said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Guys, That doesn't just happen after you die. That happens right now. Eternal life begins the moment we begin to embrace and understand who God is and the son who he sent. So eternal life and God's kingdom begin when a person like me, like you, the Anoim, when we start to live the with God kind of life, and God's eternal kingdom begins the moment you begin to do life with Jesus in his kingdom. And so the Anawim find value and purpose and direction and sustenance and strength the moment we choose to enter God's kingdom. And after this service, we'll all head out to the front porch and we'll have this opportunity to celebrate people who are going public that they have entered into God's kingdom. And now from this point forward, everything changes. When you enter God's kingdom, you now form a relationship with God. And the relationship with God is very similar to how you relate to each other, how you relate to family, how you relate to boys, girls, how you relate to your dog, to be quite honest with you. Here's what I mean. This is how intimacy is formed. Intimacy is formed through shared experiences over time. Make sense? So if you've been married for a while, you've had some shared experiences over time. If you've been in a small group for a while, you've had shared experiences over time. And the longer you do life together, the more intimate you are with one another. Well, that same option is available In our relationship to God we can now have that with God and God's kingdom is where the with God life is lived out for all of us and in that sermon on the side of the hill Jesus was establishing a brand new reality and if you're a believer you have to decide whether or not you will accept this brand new reality a new worldview a new identity marker and Jesus totally reversed the idea. He looked him in the face and said, for people who feel nothing but powerless for their entire lives, a people who think it's all about my survival, my comfort, sound familiar? <laughs> Jesus said, each of you now has the power to choose my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, or doing life outside of my kingdom. And respectfully, that's the same decision we have. Everybody in the room has this opportunity to choose to do life inside God's kingdom or not outside God's kingdom. And this is what God meant, this is what Jesus meant when he talked about kingdom because again, that's terminology we don't use very much. But when he's speaking of kingdom, God means any place where what God wants done is actually done. He's got all authority He's in charge. He's in control. This is the with God life, and this is incredibly good news. It's incredibly good news for those of us that are the Anoim. In our lives, the kingdom, the with God life happens, ready? As we allow God to have our mistakes, our sins, our past the hurts we've caused, the hurts that have been done against us. The with God life is when we allow God to have authority over our addictions, our marriages, our families, our finances, our morality. And this is incredibly exciting to me because it means that God is willing to come into the areas of my life and establish his kingdom, even the areas that are not doing well. Not just the parts that really look good for you people. But the parts that aren't doing that well. God wants to establish his kingdom there. Areas I'm not proud of. Areas where I'm not getting a passing or acceptable grade. God wants his kingdom to come and reign there as well. So any place in my life, God's kingdom can reign. Any place I allow God to come in and do what he actually wants to do. And this all leads to a significant question for me. What does this with God life look like for like normal people? I said the question better because it might get public, but you heard what I'm really thinking. Does this mean we all got to get freaky up in here? Does this mean we all got to like be weirder than we are? You know, is that what this means? Well, what is this call to? What is the with God life? Do we have to like smoke incense and like make crosses over everybody? I mean, what does that actually look like? So, so let's just say we believe what, what Jesus said in the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount, the blessed, 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 blessed. Let's say we believe that. But what does it mean for me and for you and the Anoim and and how we're doing our lives? I mean, Are we still throwaway people eking out a meaningless existence, striving for comfort, and then we die and just sprinkle a little Jesus over all that? Is that what's happening? So I told you last week, you can actually divide the Beatitudes into into threes. And so we've been discussing the first and second uh, trilogy. And then today we have this last trilogy. And the last trilogy is really jarring if you allow yourself to be immersed in the scripture. Because the first few trilogies are, blessed are the meek, Blessed are the the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's good, preacher. Stay right there. I'll send you a check. You know, that's kind of what people were feeling. It was a good moment for communication from preaching level. But then there's this jar. It's It's this change because Jesus decides to keep it real. So right after blessed are the mourn, blessed are the pure, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the righteous. Jesus says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, the astute listener would have said, oh, hold on there just a minute there. What do you mean peacemaker? I thought, you know, we're merciful and mourning and, you know, righteous. Those are, the, what do you mean making peace? And they say, well, he must have messed up. Then Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. <laughs> because of righteousness. Now, this is the Anawim he's talking to. These are people who have their own kind of existences, their own lives, they're trying to eke out their own living. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do you sense the change in the Beatitudes? this is a needed and powerful warning and i have no doubt the reason some of you are in this room is because of what jesus just said here apparently being in god's kingdom will not always be popular or easy living the with god life does not make us now promised people who nothing bad ever happens to. Holding the tension between righteousness and mercy, as we spoke about last week, to gain a pure heart, apparently will result in significant trouble for anyone in God's kingdom. And to be honest with you, I'm so glad that's in there. Because if it wasn't, I would have wondered if my faith was broken. Because there are times and areas of my life that do not go well. Areas that I thought God might prevent. Fair? Come on, don't leave me alone up here. If it's said that in God's kingdom, everything is roses, team always wins, you never have a debt you, a bill you can't pay, your wife always thinks you're the greatest thing since sliced, sliced bread, the dog never throws up on the carpet. That was bad that I followed those two examples back to back. <laughs> but I'm a dude, so that's what happens. I wouldn't have bought it I wouldn't have bought it because I've lived long enough and have enough understanding of this world that it doesn't always go great what causes this shift in the progression of Jesus's talk things were going so well Jesus I mean if we decide to live the with God life with integrity who's gonna know I mean, if we decide to go and get baptized today and show everybody in this, you know, who really's going to know? Can't we kind of just do a little Jesus on top of what we already got going on? I mean, who's going to insult us, persecute us? I mean, well, that sort of gets back to the question I asked, what does this with God life look like? Look at the next verse because we're getting ready to head in an entirely different direction. Next verse, Jesus says, To the Annawim, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its be saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's turned out and trampled underfoot. A lot of cultural stuff going. Just stay with me. I'll explain in a minute. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, it gives light to everybody in the house. What's happening right here? The next thing he says, verse 16. So in the same way, you Anoim, let your light shine before other people so that they can see the good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. Apparently, what Jesus is saying, you should read it for yourself, make your own decision. But the way I understand it, the Anoim who enter his kingdom, who live the with God kind of life, apparently we become salt and light in the world. So now our task is, what in the world does that mean? Jesus is using some very tame words because he's trying to build a bridge with everybody who hears him that day to describe a demanding role of any of us who identify with the Anawim. There's all kinds of books on what Jesus meant by salt and light here's where I come down on it. (laughs) Salt had tremendous value in Jesus's culture and because it was a preservative. If you wanted meat not to rot, you use salt. That's kind of how that happened. And so that was an important thing. It kept things from decaying. Light is absolutely necessary in Jesus's day, just like it would be in our day. I mean, can you imagine if all of a sudden there was no electricity available? I mean, it would be like The apocalypse. I mean, walking dead would be happening right here in Central. I mean, and I'm prepared just to let you know. I mean, I'm ready. But if that were to happen, you know, that's kind of, how would we charge our phones? I mean, it would be horrible to think about what might actually go on on the planet if there was no light. So what Jesus is actually saying is there's this preservative peace and there's an essential necessary peace. And he's making this shocking statement about this new identity of the Anoim that are part of the God's kingdom. He says the Anawim are now essential and valuable, vital in God's kingdom. Jesus just said, if you and I buy those first 12 verses... The world needs us to be salt and light. He says, I'll take care of defeating sin and death. I got that part. But you people, in your lives, in your existences, you people, you must be salt and light in the world because you're living the with God life and the world needs you. So if we are going to seek to preserve and be valuable and shining a light in our world, Jesus says this isn't going to be an easy climb. Any headline you read this week, slap some salt and light in that headline and tell me how popular that would go over. Tell me how easy that would be. The place you work, and there's maybe a compromise or two taking place, something you're aware of, maybe it's you. Drop salt and light in the middle of that, and just tell me how easy that would go over. And that's what Jesus is saying. The terrible, well, not the terrible, the difficult, the challenging part of what Jesus is saying is, we are plan A. So what I want you to do is turn to your neighbor and just tell him, your plan A. Go ahead. Just take a moment. Just do it. Your plan A. Go ahead. Your plan A. Your plan A. Everybody doing it? Your plan A? Okay, great. Stop, stop, stop. Okay. Your plan A. And there is no plan B. No, you don't, you don't have to tell that to your neighbor. I mean, that's not... That's, <laughs> let me do my job. You do yours. Okay? <laughs> there is no plan B. What that means, according to the way I understand Jesus, is we're first string people. There's no one coming in to give us a break. Suck it up, big boy. We got to play the whole game. <laughs> we're plan A. That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, we're, the new release is happening and there will be no sequel. Thank the Lord. There will be no sequel. It'll just be us. We're it. We're the chance. What that means is, any hope of Jesus being active and present in our families, our marriages, our workplaces, and our friendships, that hope is now on me and on you being salt and light in that situation. Which means your with God life now matters at the kingdom level. at this point if you're like me my head starts kicking in and that's always dangerous when you're wired like i am <laughs> because i start to think about why that's not gonna work and i start to talk to god about that you know god i appreciate your ideas <laughs> let old tom enlighten you a little bit of what's happening down here And I start kind of giving God my arguments about why this isn't a good plan. God, I know I look really good, really good right now. That's exactly what I hear from God, that little snicker. (laughs) And I say, hey, you made it. (laughs) But anyway, I know things are going really well. But do you remember like 16 to 21? Do you remember that part of my life? For some of you, like, do you remember like my seven years of college? Do you remember all of that? Do you remember what happened there? And so we start throwing up to God, you know, salt, light, but I've got this past. Or how about this one? Lord, do you know if I were to stand up and try to be salt in life that they would all point to those three relationships that didn't last? I'm not exactly Dr. Philip here, okay? I need some help. I don't know if I got salt and light in me. Or how about this? You know, I know you want me to be salt and life, but the bottom line is there's an addiction that's still dominant in my life. Lord, have you seen how mad I get and how the kids run when my temper loses its, when I lose my temper? Or how about this one? Salt and light. Lord, what's my significance? I mean, I just live my life. And Jesus rejects that entire kind of worldview. He says, that, no, that is true, Tom, in my kingdom. And this changes everything, people. So if you're expecting Jesus to be this little cruise into eternity idea, I would recommend you walk away. Because Jesus has been very honest with us and using words like persecution, insults, and peacemakers. Apparently, being part of being in God's kingdom means nothing is wasted in this life. Cancer is just cancer outside of God's kingdom. But in God's kingdom, even cancer can be salt and light. My daughter works at a church in Ohio. And one of their pastors has a, has a bad one. He's a young guy. He's got cancer and it's going to get him. They moved him to hospice, I think, this week or something. And so she was talking, texting me because we're intimate and we can't pick up the phone anymore. <laughs> You know, she's like, you know how you young people are. Your thumb's like (laughs) I'm like, A, (laughs) (laughs) B, (laughs) but anyway, I truly digress. (laughs) She was saying, you know, dad, this dude's got some bad cancer and the whole community's grieving. And she she works with his son and they're just crying, a lot of tears and all that stuff going on. And, um, but she said to me, she says, you know, dad, this may be the first person I've ever met who might be entirely sanctified, holy. And I said, you know, cancer in God's kingdom is salt and light. And here we have this incredibly tragic experience, we all agree, that is now using to minister to an entire group of people. Would it be the way you and I choose it? Pfft. No stinking way. How about this one? PTSD. PTSD is just PTSD outside of God's kingdom. But inside of God's kingdom. PTSD can be salt and light. Depression. Anybody ever suffer with that one? Depression's just depression. It's such a waste outside of God's kingdom. But inside God's kingdom, even depression can be salt and light. Here's one that gets all of us broken relationships. Broken relationships are just hurtful, painful, you know, eat five gallons of ice cream and still feel terrible kind of situation outside of God's kingdom. But inside of God's kingdom, even broken relationships can be used as salt and light. What are you trying to say? I think this is what Jesus is saying. God can change anyone and anything into something that is kingdom worthy. That's the major difference between, well major that sounded so i'll get an email so that is like a difference significant difference between life in the kingdom and life outside of the kingdom nothing is wasted in the kingdom and now we have this aha moment because we've learned something this is such a significant moment in jesus's teaching if this lesson isn't grasped if we don't get these first 12 verses 14 verses then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount will not make sense. If we don't own these first, I think there's 15 or 16 verses of this first part of the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think the rest of the New Testament makes sense. It's an identity piece, but we go right to behavior. Tom, what should I do in my marriage? I have no idea. I'm working on mine. I mean, so I don't know what, well, you got your own problems, deal with it. <laughs> it's a pastor's heart, I don't know, whatever that is, you've got all got these problems marriage I have no idea here's what I tell you every marriage is unique and time with God and his community will help reveal a plan but I do know this ready if Jesus is going to heal your marriage you have to be salt and light you do not him not her you which would be one of those but it doesn't work for the illustration (laughs) what should I do at work where things are really getting tough right now there's some moral compromises I have no idea But I do know this, if Jesus is going to be part of it, you have to be salt and light. What you do with my kid who won't talk to me, my kid who's rejecting my belief system? I have no idea. Read a book like I read. I mean, I have no idea, but I do know this. You have to be salt and light. We all want to engineer these action plans to determine what is good or bad. Jesus says, you're the salt and light of the world. So don't go off this hill or leave this church trying to live any other idea, because that's absurd. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus is actually funny. We make him so boring. Like, oh, we're having a great party. Oh, Jesus is here. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of like this killjoy. Here comes the wet blanket. But then we forget, Jesus actually was central to parties that took place. I don't know if that messes with, you, with your theology, the denomination you grew up in. I don't know. I don't care. I do care because I love you. But <laughs> Jesus established, he, he made parties. You, you're familiar, right? And they weren't parties with like Christian folks, you know, they, they were parties with the people that, well, everyone else wanted to party with. I mean, that was, Jesus had those kinds of parties, and, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't mean that to violate in any way, but that's true. And that's part of the reason is because Jesus was hilarious. And, and sometimes we forget that. In fact, the passage we just read, Jesus is being like hilarious. and I know we missed it. I know we did. Because he's being so insane, the people on the hill would have giggled which are left. I don't know what word you use. But it's just hilarious. So, so let me kind of put it in a modern retelling, see if this makes any sense. Let's say you decide you need a lamp for your house. And so because maybe you're married, you have to go to a certain store to get a lamp. And the store has a whole bunch of stuff from Sweden. And it's the closest example of the warm place that is a possibility for eternity that we have on this earth where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you go to that big blue Swedish store. If you're the CEO of that store, I'm glad you're here. And I'd like to talk to you about your tithe. But let's just say that's, that's the big blue store. And we go in to find a lamp. We go in, we look at the lamps, and we pick one out because they all have Swedish names. They do, if you haven't experienced this. They all have Swedish names. So we pick out the Kinderhuden, which I don't know what that means, and if, it says, if it's wrong, I'm sorry. So you bring your Kinderhuden home and put it on a table next to your camo chair because you do live in South Carolina in the living room. <laughs> but while you were at the big blue box store to find a lamp, You had to walk through the kitchen area because this store is jacked up and not of God. So you see a salad bowl that you would like to have from the Fry Heaton collection. So you take your Fry Heaton salad bowl home. You take off the shade of your lamp and you put your salad bowl on top of it. Your Fry Heaton now sits atop your Kinderhutten. Is everybody with me? Because this would be of a miraculous type thing. If you are not with me and you shop at Tractor Supply, stay with me. You are my people. <laughs> so let me ask you some questions related to that incredible illustration I just shared. In my scenario, I think you're just supposed to say scenario, but it sounded more of I is the lamp still a lamp? That'd be yes. Is the light still on the lamp even though it's got a fry heating on top of it? That'd, that'd be yes. But is the working lamp doing what the working lamp should be doing if we put the salad bowl on top of it? No. And that is exactly what Jesus was saying. <laughs> This could be my last Sunday with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> if we don't listen to what Jesus is saying, what Jesus is saying, we become working lamps who don't believe we are. We're a bunch of kinderhoons with fry heatons on our heads. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is actually using humor to make his point. He said, It's just absurd to believe you are meaningless in God's kingdom. Shine. Season where you are, your salt and your light. Shine, be salt, be light. So I only have one question. Well, it's two questions, but it's one slide. <laughs> and the question that I would ask you is this. Do you really believe you're God's plan for bringing salt and light to your world? This is a simple yes or no response from you. Your situation, your context, the problems you're facing, the crisis that you're dealing with, the people you're interacting with, whatever the the situation, the thing we prayed about at the very beginning, do you really believe you're God's plan A for bringing salt and light to your world? If not, why not? Because everything I understand from Scripture says that we are given God's spirit to now shine and season where we are. Now, can you imagine if just this room, your situation and yours and yours, and yours and yours and yours, yours yours, just this room, Can you imagine if we actually took this out into the community where we work, where we do life, and we were salt and light? Tell me that wouldn't change the world. Lord, thank you for these great folks and the high honor we have today of celebrating now baptisms. And I thank you, Father, for this challenge to be salt and light. Oh, my gracious. I just long for that to be true in my life, the life of the people that I live and do life with here, these good folks. So Lord, I don't know what situation they prayed about at the beginning of this message, but I pray you would allow them to be salt and light. Show them what it means to be salt and light, to shine and to season in that context. I thank you for my friends who are fighting the good fight right now and they're dealing with something major maybe an illustration like I had or maybe one that I didn't think of And Lord I pray that you would give them wisdom and what it means to be salt and light in that situation pray that for each one Pray that for me. And may we be a community of people who shine in season through the with God life in your name.